Welcome to Decoding Sales, a podcast where an engineer and a salesperson talk about the art and science of sales. In this episode, we're going to take a a different tack. We're going to talk about a topic that I know absolutely nothing about, have never been involved in, and frankly, seems a little bit like a boondoggle from the engineer's perspective. Like, it's the sales dinner. What the hell are a bunch of people hobnobbing about, drinking fancy wine, eating steaks, doing, and how does that help a deal? So we're going to tell some stories. I think it's going to be a little bit more fun. This episode is to learn and demystify this process. It, from the outside, seems completely crazy and the kind of thing that leads to overblown expense counts and Series A startups failing because they've ran out of money. <laughs> All right, Peter, let's talk about these sales dinners. I hear that they're a boondoggle. You know, you go out to a fancy place, you spend absurd amounts of money. If I'm the CEO of the company, I'm like, what are, what are these line items? What am I getting for them? So what am I getting for my sales dinner and these charges that you're, you're, you're putting on my account? What's, what's going on? I actually think what the CEO should be asking is not why is the cost this much? It should be how is where you took that person, that prospect, how is that related to what you are as a person? Because if you can accomplish that in a client meeting and show that, A, it becomes memorable. And B, you can end up actually asking the hard questions because you're comfortable and you are authentically you in the environment that you host your prospect in. Imagine me being like a 27-year-old person fresh out of San Francisco into New York, trying to sell NBC Universal on on our first enterprise deal. I had this choice to make. One was to follow what I stereotypically know to be sales dinners which is to take somebody out to a really, really fancy steakhouse and something like quality meats, let's say in Midtown. Or I could also just authentically be me and embody what I'm teaching people. You know, I was, I was really teaching my, my peers and, and mentees to, to really open up to, to what your culture is about and also who you are as a person in the deal cycle. So I thought to myself, why don't I do that for these dinners as well? The clients might not expect it, but let me just suggest going to my favorite Korean barbecue restaurant in New York. And so the first time I tried it, I remember I was nervous actually to invite NBC Universal to this Korean barbecue restaurant because it's nothing fancy. It's a little bit hot inside. There's, your suit's going to smell like Korean barbecue when you come out of there. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? Screw it. This is me. And I'm going to be fully me because I think that's the best way for me to actually get any authentic relationship out of my prospect. And also, if I want to talk about deal specifics, I feel like I need to be comfortable. And this is where I'm in my element. So I took my stakeholder decision maker from NBC to this Korean barbecue restaurant. Long story short, he absolutely loved it. A week later, Two months later, a year later, even today, he will mention it. He will text me and ask me for recommendations for Korean barbecue restaurants because that memory was so different than what any other salesperson gave him. And that's what he said. He was like, you know what? You're the only person who's taking me to a Korean barbecue restaurant. And I actually preferred it to the expensive steakhouse. I understand why you're doing it. It's to to build a relationship and show who you are. Are there any topics, like stories you kind of like have queued up that you want to lead into? Yeah, there is this one. So I sold a deal at Hearst Corporation. You know Hearst? Are you like the newspaper people? Yeah, yeah, they're like the big media conglomerate in New York. So the procurement officer had told me repeatedly that 
there's an internal Hearst event at a karaoke bar. Around that time, I don't know if you remember, but Gangnam Style came out by Psy. Uh-huh. It was around that time. And I remember my friend Kyle Parrish showed me that video. I was blown away. I was like, how is this Korean pop star in the U.S. now? And it ended up being very, very popular even to this day. So the procurement officer at Hearst said, hey, Peter, you should come out to one of our karaoke nights. You know, it's going to be about 30 to 40 Hearst executives, all the people that you want to be selling to. And so you should definitely show up. And so I showed up to one of them. What what are you thinking at this point? You're you're going there in front of like 40 executives. Yeah, I was thinking, and by the way, I went by myself. Usually I try and take someone just to make it seem a little less awkward. But I was intrigued, but also scared, obviously, because it's a new situation for me. I've never done this with clients before to just show up at a 40-person internal event. But they were super welcoming, got in there. It was unlike anything I've seen. It's one of those karaoke bars where you can actually sing at the bar while you're ordering drinks. And so one thing led to another and it came time for me to sing. And of course, the procurement officer is really jolly, you know, fun guy. I couldn't say no to this guy because I was trying to sell a deal. So the mic comes to me and I decide to sing Gangnam Style by Psy. And of course, since I'm Korean American, I know the lyrics. And at this point, everybody knew the tune, but nobody knew the lyrics. So it turns out people were blown away that I I could actually sing the lyrics to Gangnam Style. After that, a week later, a few days later, I forget the exact time frame, but the procurement officer messages me and says, hey, you know, there's multiple Dropbox links of you singing Gangnam Style at this karaoke bar and people are talking about it, you know? And so did that impact the deal? I don't know, but I like to think it did because all of these people who previously did not know me and maybe didn't even want to buy Dropbox because this company is notoriously a Microsoft shop. And I think at the time it was like SkyDrive or OneDrive. I forget if they had rebranded to OneDrive, but they were free for usage at this company. But I'd like to think that that karaoke night impacted these decision makers decision to be like, okay, we should actually give Peter something (laughs) in terms of a contract. (laughs) Yeah. It seems to be what happens. You go to these sales dinners, you take him to a Korean barbecue, you show your culture and suddenly you're friends. It's really special to be able to build friendships with your clients. And I think it only happens if you allow yourself to just be yourself in any state of the deal. And I think that's been super liberating for me, really scary for me, actually, initially as an Asian American. And, you know, maybe we'll talk about race and sales at some point, too. But it's not easy to break out of the salesperson mentality or the salesperson persona. Less so today, but when I was in sales, I didn't really know a lot of other Asian Americans selling. And... In fact, a lot of customers would tell me in client dinner settings, this is probably not professional, but they would say, you know, I haven't really worked with a lot of young Asian guys in sales. I'm used to working with a specific type of person. They're definitely not taking me out to Korean barbecue or karaoke. But, you know, the fact that you were comfortable in inviting me to a Korean barbecue restaurant, that was so much more fun than anything I've experienced. I think that's 
the special thing about these client dinners. Think about that when you're taking your clients out to dinner, whenever this whole pandemic is over. Do not do what your manager or what you know your friends do to entertain clients. What is something that is unique? And it can't just be unique. It has to be uniquely you, I think, to be effective. Because there's so many venues out there and there's so many ideas. You could take clients bowling. You can take clients like mini golfing. But if that's not your personality, why do it even if it's unique? And so I think that's something that has been really interesting for me to figure out. And and the last thing I'll say too is I keep talking about myself and my culture. I would flip that to the prospects as well. You know, the buyers that you're dealing with also have their own unique background. And so you're not just doing one client dinner. I think like what I'm talking about is like the initial foray into me showing my culture. But I think it's really important to reciprocate that as well. And to be comfortable saying, hey, I I know you told me that you're Puerto Rican. I found this Puerto Rican restaurant. Like, do you recommend it? Or do you have any that you enjoy? And allowing the prospects also to do that. You know, prospects are uncomfortable being like, yeah, let's go to the you know, hole in the wall diner that I just love going to after work, after a stressful day. And I think by you taking that first step of authentically being you and showing your culture and your personality, it also gives some comfort for the other side to do the same when you're meeting them over and over and over again. And that's what becomes a repeat relationship. And that's what becomes a client relationship where people actually want to see you and are not forced to see you. I like that. Well, you, you take a risk and you, you set the stage that it's okay to take a risk. And that opens them up to feeling comfortable doing that. And people who are willing to take risks with each other are also willing to work together and be honest with each I mean, presumably be honest with each other when it, it might feel a little risky. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, completely All agree. Right. What's the most expensive client dinner you've ever been to? The most expensive client dinner I've been to is Quality Meats in New York. Expensive steakhouse. We had 12 people at the dinner. And of course, I don't remember if it was the CIO or the procurement officer pointed out a bottle of wine to me that was a Magnum bottle of wine. So I don't know if you've ordered Magnum bottles of wine, but this was like the first and only time I've done that at a restaurant. So it's this jumbo wine bottle. It's probably like the equivalent of four or five bottles. And he pointed it out to me. I forget what the price tag was. It must have been at least like in the thousands, I would say. And I already told my manager at the time that this would probably be the most expensive client dinner that I'll, that I'll expense. So without hesitating, I said, sure, like, why not? Let's do it. Because <laughs> what else are you going to do at that point? If, if you say, oh, let me ask my manager or let's get something else, you kill the mood. So you can't do that. But then, of course, if you say yes, you're, you're paying for quite an expensive bottle. I won't tell our listeners exactly how much the dinner was, but it was very expensive. Take us inside. Take us inside, Peter. Okay, so and maybe it wasn't too outlandish, actually. Some people might say, oh, that's just a drop in the bucket. But it was it was 12 grand for the night, for the dinner. So a thousand bucks a person. Thousand bucks a person, which for me I was like sweating a little bit after I saw the receipt. But you know, the way I justified it was the deal itself was quite big. And so when you take that as a percentage of the deal, it's pretty much nothing. And then weeks later, our controller had visited the office and he joked about it. He said, you know, your, your expense card, we just expect it to be a little bit higher. <laughs> for, for our listeners, the controller is an accounting function that, that 
pays attention to these kinds of things. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So the fact that it was a laughing matter, at least he told me it's a laughing matter, my corporate card, like made me feel a little bit better. But, you know, like I don't want to seem like a, a sales bro just charging up my car. It's just, you know, these things are important. It's important to invest in the client relationship. And of course, you always have to be judicious about it too. This doesn't happen every week. It doesn't happen every night. And you really have to be getting something out of these dinners. It's fun and games for a lot of it and trust building, but you really have to figure out the right way to phrase the asking of questions too. And I think they are very impactful for, for progressing the deal. So I have a question. Yeah, this, sure. So you just told us this story about spending a thousand bucks a person at a sales dinner. Yeah. And you're like, they pointed at the Magnum. What was I supposed to do? I just got to <laughs> say yes. Burn the money. Light it on fire. Oh what if this deal had been like a fraction of that amount? Like, how would you have sidestepped that? How would you have avoided? Say the deal was a hundred thousand dollars. This is like 10% of the deal. Yeah. 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 What would yeah. you have done? I mean, in that case, I probably would have said, listen, you know, like I'm actually going to go with the the white wine or a vodka soda. So I'm not sure if I can finish that bottle of wine. So why don't we get the same type of bottle, like just a little bit smaller, since I'm not sure I can help you out with that. You know, so I might say something like that and and pivot that way. Now, it gets a little dicey if I've been drinking red wine the whole night and then they suggest the Magnum bottle, right? Well, at that then, point, maybe you're like, I'm a little sloshed. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. to water. You know, it's funny you say that because I was actually going to say the opposite. I was going to say, you know, I think we should keep this night going, but in a different venue. I actually know of a really good bar on the corner I'd love to take you to. And if we order that Magnum bottle, we could be here all night. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the difference between an engineer and a salesperson. Oh my God, it's so funny. And probably my move wouldn't have been the smart move, which is also the difference between an engineer and a salesperson. <laughs> Depends on how you want to feel the next morning. Yeah, that's true. So Peter, <laughs> you know, this this Magnum bottle of wine kind of yeah. does strike me a little bit as one of those things that if I'm the, in my like CEO hat on for a moment, I'm like, you spent how much money on what? Yeah, like, yeah. What, what is that? How is this alcohol actually advancing the deal here? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's alcohol itself that's in advancing the deal. I think it's more of like what the client wants. Of course, I've actually had clients also that don't drink, right? Who just is not part of their going out to client dinners, which I respect a ton. And you can still have a lot of fun. And in those cases, I've done things where, you know, I order extra dessert for them to take to their wife or their kids as a gesture of, hey, I want you to be comfortable in your element. So I think it's more about that. But in a lot of situations, some of the clients that I work with, their connection to alcohol is, okay, the workday is over and we're going to relax a little bit and, and talk and be casual. So that's more of what that signals, I think, is that not everything has to be just strictly about business. I'll also say, too, alcohol can be very uncomfortable for people, too. And I've had people on my team who don't drink as much. So I've definitely been in a lot of situations, too, where with my colleagues, they will tell me, hey, I absolutely do not want to drink tonight. Like, And 
you have to be able to facilitate that or say, hey, I just want to have one glass of wine because I have an early call tomorrow. I want to be okay for it. So you, you need to be able to strategize too around that, especially if you have a prospect that you know is going to ask to go to another bar and continue drinking. You need to be able to have for the people on your team a really comfortable out situation where you're able to facilitate them leaving mm. the environment because it can become really uncomfortable and not really a productive thing for people to be put in that position. These sales dinners can go really long. They can involve a lot of alcohol. They don't necessarily have to, but still, it seems like a, on the one hand, we started this as like the sales dinner is a boondoggle, but we're kind of ending this where I'm going, oh God, these sounds so exhausting. Yeah. Like, who wants to do this? You've got to have all these sales meetings with people you don't really know. you got to get to be friends with them. And, and then they're like, it's 2 a.m., Let's do yeah. shots. Like, oh my that God. sounds horrible. Yeah, it is exhausting. I'd say, like, I probably had years taken off my life because of these sales dinners. <laughs> but, you know, in the moment, I'll say it's like one of the most energizing things ever because you take the relationship to another level. You understand the other person psychologically, emotionally, and professionally by seeing them in another element. And being able to ask those questions in a different environment than their office. People, I think, open up when they're more comfortable. Like, that's just an obvious thing. And in the office, people are not natural. So being outside of that environment is the next best thing to be able to help move some of these deals forward. But super exhausting and definitely very tiring. And so you need to space them out. So that makes a ton of sense. But you still have to do it. And I guess the question here is, how do you choose when to do it? What are the what are the clues? What are the are there? Is there like a cycle where you're like after the first call? Hmm. I always like try to do a dinner. Is it when the deal is hitting a certain energy level? Yeah. So there's no playbook for that. I would say there's no like there's no formula for that. What I think about is. First of all, is this company or the potential deal size worth your time? Because this is like another level. This is not a call. This is not a meeting. This is taking time out of your personal life. So regardless of the stage of the deal, if it's a large company and, and you're a startup, you take your opportunities to meet that person where, whenever you can in an environment that's outside of the business context. So for us at Dropbox, if somebody, a decision maker at NBC wants to have dinner, I would take that opportunity, no questions asked, because they are indicating to you that they want to talk to you and there's something serious here, regardless of when they ask you or when when they agree to go to dinner with you. So that's the first thing. Second thing I think about is if I feel like I don't really know the person from the calls that we've been on and the deal is in a specific state where I feel like I should know the the mental state of my prospect, I will suggest a dinner because I want to understand whether or not my assumptions are correct and how the deal is progressing. All right. I have another question. Yeah, for uh, sure. So that sounds awesome, right? Like using these dinners as a way to just build more relationships. It helps you, helps them, helps everybody. What happens if you're frozen out? Like who leads these conversations? We talked before in like kind of uh, call mm. leadership. Mm -hmm. You kind of take the caller. Is that the same here? Like, how, how does it work? It's very similar. 
Because a lot of times, if you're the one organizing, you're the one who's ran the deal, people are expecting you, I think, to facilitate conversations outside of the office, outside of the deal. So I do think about that a lot, too. And so rarely do I feel like I get frozen out. I do see other people get frozen out, though, on the other side, because there are some people who don't necessarily want to be as outspoken So then if you were at a dinner table and you weren't talking, I would actually point you out, hopefully not in an uncomfortable way, but I would start a conversation with you. And so oftentimes that was my role or I felt like I took the responsibility of that. And it doesn't have to be where you're all of a sudden on the spot, like talking to in front of 10 people at a dinner table, because that's pretty daunting. I would say it's, it's really hard to be at a dinner table and just speak when nine sets of eyes are on you. So oftentimes totally. I would try and have a separate conversation with that person, mm. you know, talk to them one on one, get to know them a little bit and make sure they're part of the conversation. And then even on my side, if I'm bringing a team, it's my responsibility to make sure I'm saying something about them to the customer so that they get to know that person on my team as Mm. well and help facilitate that. It's it's a whole other art form that is an, an overlap between sales and as we've kind of talked a number of times, the rest of life, the art of facilitating a dinner party. Yeah, actually. Yeah, it's dinner leadership. Dinner leadership. Well, Peter, I'm not sure that I've completely come away from this episode convinced that that if I were the CEO, I'd really be thrilled to be paying for these dinners. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a little accounting that I need to understand here. Yeah. What's your budget? Like when you're thinking about a deal, how do you think about how much you can squeeze in for dinners? Like how do you, what's the math on that look like? Oh man, you know, I'm embarrassed to say I've never thought about a formula for this, to be quite honest. I'll say this. Maybe the reason why I haven't done the calculation is dinners, no matter how expensive they get or no matter how much you try and calculate what you're ordering at a specific restaurant, they rarely become substantial in terms of the amount compared to the deal you're selling. And the reason is because in SaaS, it's all about recurring business and lifetime values of customers far outweigh what you're talking about in terms of bills for dinner. Mm -hmm. Like it pales in comparison. The other thing too, is these dinners become offshoots or places where, where customers start understanding your brand as well. So it's not just a sales dinner, in my opinion, it also says something about the brand of your company and the brand of your people. And I've had multiple customers refer me to new business and they become more comfortable doing that because they understand you on kind of a human level. So that's also something I think leaders should keep in mind. It's not just about the deal and the and the check that you see in any given meal, but it's about the brand, the lifetime value of the customer, and also the network effects of what that customer will say about the people that they meet at the dinner. In previous episodes, we were talking about the importance of roadmap, the idea mm-hmm. that you're building a long-term relationship. Mm-hmm. And that relationship is founded on a vision of what you jointly want the future to be. And the roadmap of your business, your engineering team, what you're planning to do outlines the equivalent of, do you want to have kids and move to the suburbs? Or do you want to be a, you know, dual income, no kids, living in the city, condo life forever? And this maybe to help me get my head around this, this is kind of the equivalent of, you know, Mm -hmm. we're going on the fancy date We're we're going to take some time away and you know maybe it's like going on the vacation together or something where you're like this yeah. is a place to get out of our normal relationship routine 
step back, look at things a little bit differently, kind of create some memories, sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so maybe that's a way for our listeners to really think about like, how does the sales dinner fit and make sense? It's like, well, if you're thinking of this as a relationship between two companies, not just some like one-time business transaction, which is SaaS software, it really is a relationship in a way that maybe mm-hmm. if you're just buying a, you know, physical item is is less so, then yeah, maybe you do need to to spend a little bit of money. I, Investing it, in the other side is really important. And oftentimes that happens over a meal. People get together and open up over a meal. You know, that there's a reason for that. And I think client relationships are no different. 